The Bible says this, it's one of the more familiar and well-known predictions written over 700 years ago before Jesus even came to our world. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, God tells us through Isaiah, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Every year, the Social Security Administration releases lists of the most popular names from the previous year. And guess what? As I looked at the list this year, uh, the names on the list do not look like the names that I see in here. There are no Scots, no Kims, no Mac, Marys, no, no, uh, no uh, Craig and Debbie, no uh, Kent and Chipley, or Rob and Heidi, or Bob and Roseanne, or any such names like that. The names I see are things like this. The number one boy's name this last year is Liam. And then after that, you have things like Benjamin and Elijah and Mason and Logan and Lucas. And Anyway, for girls, the number one name is Emma and then Olivia and Ava and Isabella, Sophia, some of these kinds of names. You know, when I look around in a crowd like this, people mostly around my ballpark age or give or take maybe a decade, I see a lot of Davids and Jims and Steves and... Susans and Lindas and Kellys and Kathys and so forth. But tell you what, your name may be popular for people your age, but they're not in the nursery. There are not very many babies with our names today because every generation likes to change what is popular, which is totally fine. Nothing wrong with that. You know, kind of on a funny side, though, there are those within the last generation or two in particular, seems to be a more growing thing, that like to come up with names that not only are, you know, new and and, uh, you know, maybe something that would become popular, but actually it would be a name that nobody probably would ever use, and they want to be unique. So, like, my last name, Park, is not super uncommon, but uh, the first name I saw attached to it recently was pretty funny. Somebody named their child Jurassic, and I thought, <laughs> wow, seriously, I thought that's kind of crazy, but um, I, I have a friend named Tim Butts, Butts, and he named his child Stormy, Butts, and I thought, there are a lot of things that could be said about that. <laughs> I, I don't know, but I won't, I won't say anything about it. But I had another friend in college, his, his name was Todd Beal, Beal, and he, and I don't know, we've lost contact, I don't know if he did this, but he swore up and down he was going to name his son someday Otto Mo, last name Beal. <laughs> and I don't know, I hope he did not, but he might have, I don't know. Or... um. Uh, I saw this, a, a real baby announcement, a boy, a young baby boy named Jed Knight. And not, that's fine, but when you put in his middle initial, he is Jedi Knight. And I thought, wow, I hope he ends up liking Star Wars. So, but, um, or how about, how about this one? In a similar way, if you add the middle initial, it becomes kind of funny guy. Guy named, uh, last name was Bacon, his first name was Chris, and when you put in his middle initial P, he is Crispy Bacon. So there you go. And I thought, <laughs> Or, or how about this guy? Uh, he was named, and I hope he loves vegetables because his name is Brock Lee. So I thought, there you go. But, you know, but names are important, more important than we often realize. I, I found this really interesting, but some psychologists did some research recently on 15,000 young people 
that had delinquency problems. And this group of people doing the research concluded that if young people were given a name that was embarrassing or kind of odd, they statistically were four times more likely to become delinquent or in trouble. See, the names we give our children are important. That's why names in the Bible are so important. God himself has the name Yahweh, which is so revered and to be taken, never taken in vain and, and is so honored that Jews do not even, in many cases, do not even feel it's appropriate to ever say the name out loud. Adam, first man, his, me, his name means taken out of the earth. Eve, her name means mother of all living Abram, if you remember, God changed his name to Abraham because he told him he would be the father of many nations, and that is what Abraham means. Abraham and Sarah um, eventually were told they were going to have a son, even though they were uh, on the cusp of and actually even into the triple digits of age, and Sarah laughed about that. And so when they had a son, they named him Isaac, which means laughter. And then later, Isaac grew up, married Rebekah, and they had twins. The first was Ruddy had red hair, the Bible says, so they named him Esau, which means red. You know, names in the Bible sometimes signified what the baby was at birth. Other times they were all about the desired potential of the baby. Esau, that same boy named Red, um, he had a twin brother who came out holding on to his brother's heel. His name was Jacob, which was appropriate because Jacob means grabber, and, and Jacob kind of became a somewhat uh, grabby or greedy person holding on to all that he could most of his life. Jacob had 12 sons, the last resulting in the death of his wife Rachel. And Rachel, with her dying breath, named that son Benoni, which means son of my sorrow. But Jacob, knowing the power of a name, renamed his son after his wife had passed to son of my right hand, which is Benjamin. You know, we see this in the New Testament too. When Zachariah and Elizabeth had a son, and you remember Elizabeth was the mother of Jesus, uh, Mary's cousin. Mary and Elizabeth were cousins. When Zachariah and Elizabeth had a child, they did not name him Zach Jr. or anything like that. They named him John, which means God is gracious, which is so appropriate since John was to prepare the way, announce the coming of the gracious Savior Jesus. When Jesus met Simon, he renamed him Peter, which means rock, indicating strength in character, strength in impact, which, of course, Peter became. And, of course, the most important name in the history of the world, say it with me, is what? Jesus. Jesus. When the angel came to Joseph, he said to him, if you remember in Matthew 1, it says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his prophets from their, or his people from their sins. Verse 22 continues, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means, so appropriately, God with us. Again, that same Old Testament prophet, Isaiah, who said that, is the one who said, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful. You know, there are five descriptive adjectives in this one verse that I want us to look at. 
starting here with that word, the word wonderful, which means, if you look it up in the dictionary, filled with wonder, amazement, surprise, astonishment, distinctive. But you know, one of the problems we have with the English language today is that we tend to abuse words. Have you noticed that? We tend to overuse them, run them into the ground. We exaggerate with them, and words begin to eventually lose their meaning. For example, um, take the word super. Super used to mean something special, right? But then we began to overuse the word, and, you know, of course, we had Superman, and then we have the Super Bowl played in the Superdome, and we drive on super highways, and, and we have super glue, and we're told to eat super foods, and told to be careful not to overdo it, but if you want to, you can supersize your food, and, you know, instead of calling someone brilliant or genius or any of that, we call them super smart. Others might be called super rich or super sensitive or super annoying. You see what I mean? The, you know, the word is just overused. And so when that word got kind of worn out, everything became awesome. You know, maybe you've seen the movie, everything is awesome. You know, that parents know that song. Yeah, that's, that's the Lego movie. But, uh, you know, but truly not everything can be awesome. Not everything. Psalms 111 verse 9 says, holy and awesome is his name. And if your favorite Lego character or if your favorite you know, fast food joint or whatever, if those things are awesome, then it loses its meaning to some degree when we say, you know, holy and awesome is the name of our Lord. And the same thing can happen with the word wonderful, as we're talking about it here right now. That word gets used a lot, even on fairly trivial things. But I want to ask you, if you would, would you, as we begin, would you just pause, ponder with me, let it percolate a little bit, what it means that our Savior, that His name is wonderful. Think about the wonder and awe of who Jesus is, what Christmas is all about. In the story in Luke 2, very familiar story, I won't read it all, but um, begins like this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And as you kind of skip through the story, eventually Mary gives birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. And eventually, verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds out in the field and said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is called Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Well, if you know that story, they then among themselves said, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. And when they found Mary and Joseph and the baby, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. That's verse 17 and 18 says, and all who heard it were filled with wonder, wonder at what the shepherds had told them. You know, throughout the Bible, over and over, we see people being filled with wonder and awe at the wonderful things of Jesus. Miracle after miracle, Jesus healed and and touched people. He touched lepers. He touched lame people and allowed them to walk. He touched blind people and allowed them to see. He he, he healed people of leprosy, of of bleeding issues, of of, uh, withered hands, of on and on the list can go even bringing people back from the dead. And the Bible frequently talks about how people came out to see the wonderful things that Jesus did. 
This adjective, the word, makes me think of an old song or a couple of old songs. Maybe you're old enough. Maybe you grew up in church like me and you remember a song like this. You know, um, his name is wonderful. Do you remember that? Sing it with me if you do. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. Jesus, my Lord. Or maybe uh, an older song, more upbeat, but a lot of fun. I remember as a kid having fun singing this when, when we'd sing out of the hymnal. You know, wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin. Do you remember that? Anybody know that song? Great old song. You see, Jesus' name is wonderful. His grace is wonderful. In every way, Jesus is wonderful. Wonderful. My dad will turn 80 um, this next year. I'm looking forward to having a surprise birthday party with him, with my brother and sister and our families. Dad's been officially retired from preaching ministry for nearly 15 years, and yet he still preaches almost every weekend at some small church within you know, an hour or two of where he lives that needs help on the weekend. He does so because he wants to, not because he needs to or has to or feels obligated or any of that. He just enjoys it. And So I called him this week. And guess what he told me when I asked him, Dad, why do you do that? I mean, you don't have to, you don't need to. I mean, you're almost 80 years old. Why do you still like to go and preach whenever given an opportunity? Why? And here's what he said. He said, well, I guess I've just never lost the wonder and joy of God's love and sharing it with others. I want to help telling, I want to help and continue telling others how wonderful Jesus is till I breathe my very last breath. Psalms 119 says, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. And a few verses later in the same chapter, we read, help me understand the meaning of your commandments and I will meditate on your wonderful deeds. There are a lot of things in our world, especially at Christmas time, that we can kind of daydream about, that we can kind of imagine or meditate on, if you will. But at the top of the list should be the wonderful deeds of our wonderful Savior. Let us never forget the essence of, of what Christmas is really all about. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. You know, most of us need a counselor at one point or another. We, we tend to project the image that we've got it all together, that we're good to go, we don't need that, we're, we're fine just the way we are, and yet down inside all of us, at different points in life, need counsel. We need a counselor, not necessarily a psychiatrist or even a licensed and you know, full-time or paid counselor, maybe, but not necessarily. But we at least need someone to unload our problems on, to talk to, that will listen and empathetically care and pay attention to what is being said. Someone we can receive counsel from. Jeremiah chapter 10 says this in verse 23, I know, O Lord, that a man's life is not his own. It is not for man to, to direct his steps. In other words, no matter how self-sufficient we may want to be or appear to be, we all need counseling. We need special friends who can counsel us, if you will. Proverbs 11 says, where there is no guidance, people fall, but in an abundance of counselors there is safety. You know, a wise president of a company or, for that matter, a nation or whatever, a wise leader recognizes that he or she needs uh, counselors around them, 
not just yes people who will rubber stamp everything and tell them what they want to hear, but somebody who will give them wise counsel so that they can be even wiser than they would otherwise be. You know, sometimes the higher someone climbs the ladder, proverbial ladder, if you will, the more lonely and isolated that place can get. But everyone, no matter who they are, no matter how far up the ladder they go, they need others in this role. I don't know about you, but for me, my wife is that for me. She's an amazing person in my life in this context. As are our elders. Um, we met again this week. We try to do that at least once a month, if not more. And we're not only just meeting to pray and talk together and talk about leading the church, but we are friends and we are counselors, if you will, for one another. My dad, who I just mentioned, is that for me. My brother Barry, some of you know him, some of you don't, but Barry is that for me. In fact, Barry and I call and video chat regularly. Sometimes it's about sermon ideas or maybe it's a leadership issue of some kind. Um, sometimes it's just about K-State football or basketball, but, um, but he's totally honest with me as I am with him. I suppose if I wanted to, I know enough about him, I could get him in a lot of trouble, you know. And he, about me, well, actually, there's nothing to, no, I'm just kidding. No, he knows, he knows all, all my struggles and problems and issues and mistakes as well. You know, and oftentimes when Barry and I are done talking about whatever, some kind of preaching topic or something like that, one of us will say, hey, wait a minute, but before we hang up, um, you got another minute? I need to talk to you about something that's kind of heavy that I've been dealing with or trying to figure out what to do with or and sometimes there'll end up being tears. Uh, we often pray for each other over the phone. Because again, we are counselors, if you will, for one another. He and I need that in each other. You and I, all of us need this in others around us as well. There's an old song um, that, I had, that I used to listen to a lot and enjoy. It, one line, and it goes like this. Deep inside the armor, the soldier is a child. And no matter what your armor looks like underneath it, if you're a man, you are always still going to, at certain points, be like a little boy. In the same way, ladies, if you are a woman, you know, despite the exterior image that, that matters in some respects, you're still a fragile little girl wanting someone, needing someone, again, as a counselor or as a special friend. I would tell you this, there are three that I can think of, three keys to look for in a healthy or really skilled counselor. One would be understanding. I have a minor, my major was not counseling, but my minor in college was counseling, and one of the things I learned from college was what not to do in that context, and one of the things at the top of that list is don't tell people when you're talking to somebody about an issue, I understand how you feel, because oftentimes that's not true. No, you don't. And, and the most understanding counselors are actually those who seek to understand, and so they listen well and ask a lot of good questions in an attempt to begin to understand, but they, un they, they understand that they should not say, I understand. But you want an understanding counselor. Secondly, you want a compassionate counselor. Do you remember those TV ads? I don't know, maybe 10 years, 15, 20 years ago, I don't know, but they are etched in my mind because I wanted to follow through with what the screen said because I didn't know any better, but um, they would say things like this, are you lonely? Do you want somebody to compassionately listen to you? Then call Delilah or Angelica or Helga or whatever it may be, and for $5.99 a minute, she will listen to you because she cares. And I was like, hey, mom, can I? No, you cannot. You know. 
you know, but, um, but we all need someone to care and to listen compassionately. And it's so sad that there are lots and lots of people that are hurting and so desperate that even though they, unlike the child that I was at that point, they understand what that means and they will still spend the money because they're so desperate for somebody to show them some compassion, to love them in that way. We all genuinely need someone who is genuine and willing to show compassion. Thirdly, a good counselor is somebody who is wise. I remember hearing about a counselor who bragged about how effective his practice was. He basically explained that his method was to just have his client come in, sit down, and after introductions, they would talk briefly, and he would just ask them to explain their problem. He said that he would just listen for a while, and pretty soon he would end up saying something like, okay, I think I get it. I understand your problem. Second question for you, what do you think you need to do about it? And so he said they would typically just talk and talk and explain what they had been thinking about and considering doing. And he said usually they came up with pretty good ideas. And at the end of that, he would say, all right, I think that's really good. What are you going to do about that? Are you going to follow through? And uh, they would say yes, and they would end up by saying, thank you so much. I don't know what I could have done without you. Wow, what an incredible counselor you are, which, you know, actually he didn't say anything except just let them talk and let them listen. But we need, you know, that's called non-directive counseling, and that's okay in some situations, but there are other times we need more than that. We need real wisdom. We need somebody who can point us in the right direction because we don't necessarily always know where to go. Our own thoughts and ideas sometimes are okay, but oftentimes if we just go the way that, you know, if we're encouraged to just go the way we've been thinking on our own, it can get us in trouble. The Bible tells us that in Proverbs 12, the way of a fool is right. In his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. We all need counseling. And Jesus, of course, is the best. Amen? He is the best. He is all three of these, understanding, compassionate, and wise. Let me illustrate that. You know, think about this. In the story in John chapter 4 about the woman at the well, which I don't have time to read. But think about it. Jesus, there was good reason why he didn't say, you've been married how many times? You know, he didn't do that because he, he understood what was going on, and he was also compassionate. That's why he didn't beat her up with the truth. He knew, if you know that story, he knew she'd been married five times and that she was with another man at that moment, a sixth man whom she wasn't even married to. But he still sat with her, talked with her, loved her, encouraged her because he was not only understanding, he was compassionate. And on top of that, he was wise in every setting. But this, that picture, that story is an incredible picture of that. He was wise in that he taught her what she really needed to know. He was wise enough to teach her that she was drinking from the wrong well, that what she really needed was not to continue down the path of what she'd been doing, doing what was wise in her own eyes, but instead she needed to do what he was there to tell her about, which was to drink from the well of eternal life. And to understand that his truth and his gospel was what she really needed, what she was actually longing for, just didn't know it. Understanding, compassionate, and wise. You know, Jesus didn't have to come to our world as a baby. Have you ever thought about this? He could have, if he wanted to, shown up on our earth as a grown man and then just, you know, kind of jumped into the middle of the story that we are familiar with as a young man and done what he needed to do, and gotten it over with more quickly. I think if I'd have been called to such a difficult, heavy task, I would have wanted to go that route. But no, he chose to come as a baby. Not that he had to, he chose to. 
He, he had to experience being a child and, you know, probably going through all the things like diapers and all that. He had to be a preteen and deal with puberty. He had to be a young adult dealing with everything we've dealt with so that no one could say, I don't think Jesus really gets it. I don't think Jesus really understands. Hebrews chapter 2 says, Therefore he had, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make atonement for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. In other words, Jesus understands. Whatever you're feeling or dealing with, I mean, depression and even suicide become heightened as temptation and struggles at this time of year. And a lot of times it's because people assume Jesus just, he doesn't understand. But friends, that's not true. It's not true. Some people say, I don't think Jesus understands. I mean, I lost my job. Or my friends have all abandoned me or betrayed me. Or, you know, my family, it's a mess. Or I'm poor. Or I'm in constant chronic pain. Jesus doesn't understand. And yet I would tell you, you know what? We need to remember Jesus was poor. Jesus was single. He dealt with loneliness. He had friends who let him down, friends who abandoned him. His own family at times did not even believe in him. And he suffered more pain than any human that I've ever known has suffered. Hebrews chapter 4 Verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus does understand. And secondly, he is compassionate. John 15, 30, 13, Jesus said, Greater love is no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. Let me ask you, friends, is it even possible? Serious question. Is it even possible to show more compassion to anybody than to live out that verse? To love somebody else compassionately to the point that you would be willing to lay down your life and die for them? I say the answer is no. Jesus is not only understanding, he is compassionate to the nth degree beyond anything anybody else in this world has ever understood. And understanding um, and compassionate are the beginning. He's also wise, wise beyond what our world can understand. 1 Corinthians 1 says, so when we preach, this is Paul talking, he says, when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Friends, if you seek wisdom, if you want a wise counselor, remember, as we talked about last week, Proverbs 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And remember what Psalms 119, 105 says, His word is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. There is more wisdom in one chapter of your Bible than in all the chapters of all the books written in all of history on our planet. 
So, when you need an understanding, compassionate, wise counselor, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. He will direct your path. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon His shoulder, and His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. You know, Jesus is called many things. He referred to Himself most frequently as the Son of Man. Authors of Scripture not only call Him Wonderful and Counselor and Mighty God, John, who probably was His closest friend on this earth, John called Him the Word. Look at how John begins his book, his gospel. He says, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. In fact, verse 14 says, the Word, meaning Jesus, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. That's His version of the Luke 2 Christmas story. The Word, Jesus Himself, became flesh and made His dwelling among us. You know, through studying the Bible, we come to understand that there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Chad just baptized uh, young Addison in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is called the Trinity. They are three, and yet they are one. They are three in one, which for our finite minds is a concept that really we can't fully grasp. Uh, They are distinct, and yet they are together they are all one at the same time. It's hard to fully understand that because we are finite and we're trying to understand things of an infinite nature, of an infinite being. You know, maybe the best illustration I've seen or heard of that that has resonated with me over the years is is that of H2O. I mean, it comes in three forms. I mean, if you didn't know better, you'd think, well, that's ice, that's water, that's steam. Those are totally different things. No, exactly the same thing, just different forms of that same thing. That kind of breaks down when we're talking about God, but that's a picture to some degree of what we're talking about. But you know, in addition to what John wrote here that I just read for you in the beginning of his book, he quotes Jesus numerous times to illustrate and explain this concept of the Trinity to us. None more clearer than the quote that he has for us when Jesus said this in John 10, plain and simple. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Clear as day. He is Almighty God. Jesus is wonderful. He is a great counselor. This and more is true of Him because He is thirdly, Mighty God. He is not just the Son of God or, as some would say, a Son of God. Some religions even teach that. No, He is God. And we have to understand that. That is powerful and significant. You know, many people get stuck with the wrong picture of Jesus in their mind. They misunderstand his, his meekness for weakness because he was so quick to turn the other cheek, so quick to forgive, to be humble, to even allow fallen, fragile, um, finite, flawed beings to crucify him. Because he allowed that, some people mistake that for weakness. That wasn't weakness. He wasn't on the cross because he had to be or because he didn't have other options. He was on the cross because he loved you and chose to be in his meekness. You see, there's a difference. Weak is, we know what weak means, but meek just means strength under control. Incredible, incomparable strength under control is what Jesus was. He was meek. He was not weak. 
He was and He is the mighty God. You know, other people get stuck in a different spot in the timeline when they look at Jesus' life. They get stuck thinking of Him as just a baby. Never get beyond seeing Jesus as just a baby. Picturing Jesus in that way. Even mocking the little baby Jesus. Maybe some of you know what I'm talking about when I use that phrase. Maybe you've seen a movie that also does that. Which part of me, when I saw little baby Jesus in a movie, you know, part of me wanted to laugh. It's kind of funny, but then I thought, wait a minute. That is so inappropriate, so sacrilegious, so full of mockery and blasphemy. You know, people that do stuff like that don't even realize that if it were not for the undeserved, unmatched love and meekness of God, their soul could be lit on fire and cast into hell. But because of the love of Jesus, he allows us to even do such things as that. But that little baby Jesus that some make fun of was and still is almighty God. Infinitely beyond anything anyone anywhere on this earth has ever even imagined. And he deserves our utmost respect and worship. It's a good time to say amen. Our worship our reverence, our awe and respect. Jeremiah 10, verse 12 says, It is He who made the earth by His power, who established the world by His wisdom, and by His understanding stretched out the heavens. He created. He didn't modify or just, you know, dress it up a little here and there. He created the heavens and the earth. Isaiah chapter 40, which is an incredible chapter. We're going to look at that whole chapter in just a few weeks. But one verse in it, verse 28 says this, Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He's beyond our ability as finite beings to even begin to grasp. Psalms 8, I love how psalmist says this, When I consider... Your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? Who am I? Who are we that God is mindful of us? Friends, we are so small compared to Jesus, even the little baby Jesus. We are so simple, so frail, so weak, so needy, so undeserving, and yet so loved loved beyond what makes sense and i love that i am that loved i hope you love that you are that loved i hope you can understand that you are that loved jesus did indeed come to our world as a baby it's fine to focus on him in fact at christmas time as a baby there's nothing wrong with that but don't ever forget that he was and is almighty god as well only a little baby for a short time and only that by choice he was a baby that grew into a man who laid down his life for us on a cross to die for us, to pay for our sin, so that then he could conquer death and rise from the grave as the king and mighty God that he truly is. And he said that he is then ascending into heaven and that when it is ready, when that place is ready, in John 14 he says, when it is ready I will come back to take you to, that you may be there with me as well. And I don't know about you, but I look forward to that day. And when he returns... Friends, don't miss this. When he returns, he will not come as a baby, but as a conquering king at whose name, name every knee will bow and every tongue confess because Jesus is Lord. 
Isaiah 9, for unto us a child is born. That's what we think about at Christmas, but we need to remember that he's coming back. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, and two more amazing descriptions of him that we're going to save and talk about next week when we look at how Jesus was also Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace in a world that so desperately needs peace and has so little of anything that is everlasting. But isn't it amazing that the creator of the universe loves us so much that he came to our world as a baby, entering it on the floor of a stable through the womb of a teenager in the presence of a carpenter, soon to be worshiped by lowly, probably filthy shepherds so that he could live among us, be one of us, and eventually die for all of us. That's really the message of Christmas. This is the real little baby Jesus, the embodiment of Christmas. Majesty in a manger. That's what we're going to sing about. Would you stand with me? As we, as we sing this song that is all about his majesty in a manger, I want you to understand that Jesus is here today and that it is Jesus who lovingly, compassionately, understandingly is the one who says to all of us, are you heavy burdened? Are are you laden with heavy stuff? Then come to me, all of you who are, and I will give you rest. I want to invite you, if you feel the Holy Spirit whispering in your ear, tapping you on the shoulder, encouraging you to make a decision for Him. Maybe it's what you saw modeled by young Addison a moment ago. Maybe it's a decision to to get real with the Lord about an issue that's coming between you and Him that you need to deal with. You need to pray with somebody about it. You need to confess that. Maybe it's a struggle, a question you're not sure how to answer. You don't know what to do with it. And you need to pray with somebody. We've got people on what we call our decision team that that will be up here in just a moment as we sing. Come, would you please, if you hear the Spirit speaking to you, would you come and let someone else join you in prayer? If you want to be baptized, you want to make the Lord, make that decision to say, I want the Lord to be my Savior and Lord and boss of my life. I want to surrender all I am to Him. Come and do that. But if you hear Him, would you respond? Let's sing together.